Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jeremiah was bold, very persecuted toward the end of his ministry. He says, God, I'm so depressed. I'm not even going to speak in your name anymore. And Jeremiah says, I don't want the job. I quit. And by the way, listen, this is the first mention of a nonprofit organization in the Bible. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I I, I won't do it again this service. I think of Job, if you're trekking with me, (laughs) if that didn't throw you off. (laughs) I think of Job chapter 7, verse 20, as Job said, Lord, why have you made my life so miserable? What have I done to deserve this? Have I been a burden to you? Listen, saints, many great men and women were shaken in their faith at one time or another where they doubt and they stumble. You know, there's a story, a true story of Martin Luther who had bouts with doubt and depression. One day, Martin Luther's wife found Martin moping around the house for days. And one day she went upstairs, true story, and she got dressed for the occasion. And she came down the stairs totally in black. And it was a little while and Luther looked at her and said, whose funeral are you going to? And she said, God's. God is dead. And Luther said, what do you mean God is dead? And she said, the way you've been acting, God must be dead. And at that time, Martin Luther took out a piece of paper and he wrote the song, He Lives. And he posted it on all the windows around his whole house. He was kind of OCD probably too. Not only, you know, because I I was reading, I'm like, you know, that's kind of OCD. And he's posting the, the words, He Lives, all around his house. And whenever he felt depressed, He would just read it. You know, somebody once wrote, if God is not larger than our doubts, he is not large enough to be our God. Did you hear me? If God is not larger than our doubts, he's not large enough to be our God. Now, let's understand something here. John isn't struggling with the difficult circumstance. He is struggling with doubt. But he's not struggling with the difficult circumstance. So you got to understand something. John lived a difficult life. His daily life was eating grasshoppers. He's used to difficulty. His clothing was a camel hair suit. It was itchy. John isn't struggling with difficulty, but he's struggling with saints. If you're taking notes, you write this down. He's struggling with the length of difficulty. It's not difficulty. It's the length of difficulty. You see, here's a definition for difficulty, if you're taking notes. Unfulfilled expectation. 
unfulfilled expectation. John expected Jesus to be a certain way and he expected Jesus to do a certain thing. And when it didn't happen, he finds himself doubting. Now, don't think you're better than John the Baptist because, listen, the same thing happens to you and the same thing happens to me. When difficulty comes, someone you love is sick. Someone you love has just died. Finances have dried up. You find that Jesus isn't being the Jesus you expected in that circumstance. And then you start sending word. Jesus, are you the one I thought you were or should I be serving someone else? Or should I be serving something else? Listen, I see this every day of the week. When situations and circumstances happen in people's lives, I see it every day of the week. The first thing to go in their life is their spiritual life. They stop coming to church. It's true. Nobody here. But the first thing that goes is their spiritual life. First thing that goes is their prayer life. First thing that goes is their reading life. When things begin to happen, when in fact, when things begin to happen in your life, the first thing that you should do is cling to the things of the Lord. The first thing you should, I don't care what it is. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know. And I don't care. And it's not my business. But what you should do is cling to the things of God. Instead of pulling away from church, you should be coming to church more. You should be showing up at church when church is closed. Somebody say amen. That's the truth. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to draw closer to the things of the Lord. But what happens is when Jesus isn't being the Jesus to you in the circumstance that you're going through, you start to serve something else or go after something else. If you're with me, say amen, would you? And it's very, very true. And that's what's happening here with John. It's the length of the difficulty. Not the difficulty, he's used to difficult circumstances, but it's a long time. Hey, look, are you the Messiah, the one I've been prophesying about, or should we be looking for another? Disciples, go back and ask him that. Notice in verses 21 through 22 in your Bible, notice Jesus says, go tell John, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are being cleansed, the dead are being raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. Man, this should ring a bell because Jesus, if you're taking notes, you can write it in in your margin. He's quoting Isaiah 41, Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 35. Jesus is weaving scripture together. That's what I love about Jesus. I love that. Listen to me. Jesus uses scripture to support the things that he does. And that's what we should be doing. Why do you do this? Because the Bible says that. Why do you act this way? Because the Bible says that. Why do you love people that hate you? Because the Bible says that. I'm not going to tell you it's not hard, but I'm going to do what the word of God says. Jesus uses scripture. And here he's using scripture, Isaiah 41, Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 35, all predicting the works that Jesus came to do. And Jesus is telling the disciples of John to go tell him the word of God. Basically this, the word of God is being fulfilled. Go tell John the very thing that, that the prophecy said about the Messiah and what he would do is happening. And I believe that Jesus is making it clear. I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. I am not. Go tell John. Are you listening? Go tell John. I'm not here to do your will, John. 
I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, I may not be the Messiah you think I should be, but I'm doing the will of the Father. You see, John has unfulfilled expectations that Christ has come to be his redeemer. But Jesus is also someone else's redeemer. Again, we do that as well. We want Jesus to be the Jesus we want him to be. We want Jesus to be the make us rich Messiah. Uh, Say amen. We want Jesus to be the make us marry Messiah. Make us dating Messiah. So John has unfulfilled expectations and he starts to question, you know, too often we want to write. This is very true. This is very true. Too often we want to write the script and the part we want Jesus to play in our lives. When in fact, listen to me, if you hear nothing else I have to say, please wake up right here. When Jesus came to the earth, you must realize he came to the earth. Listen. And he had a script already. And it sounds something like this. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins. And through his death and finished work on the cross, he conquered death and he defeated sin. And now he's declawed and defanged the devil through his sacrificial blood. And if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved from your sins and you can be forgiven. That is the script that Jesus came to the earth with. Can somebody clap your hands and say amen, would you? It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus' script is to do the will of the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent him. He did not come to be your personal Messiah. He said, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus is saying to you, Jesus is saying to me, and Jesus is saying to John, I am already working from a script written by the Father. And you are blessed If you go along with the plan and the purpose of God, you find that in verse 23. Look at verse 24. When the guys that John sent to Jesus left, Jesus began to say, notice when John's disciples left, Jesus began to say to the multitudes, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaking in the wind? John wasn't blown by the political wind of the day. The religious Pharisees overlooked Herod's sin, but John stood against it. He wasn't shaken and blown by the moral wind of the day. He didn't compromise. Jesus is saying, listen, if there was some weakling down there, no one would have gone out to see him. Because you can see that anywhere. You went out to see someone with guts. Someone who would boldly speak the word of God and put and allow God's word to come through his mouth. And the interesting thing is Jesus said this after John's disciples left. Jesus is telling them this is the greatest prophet that ever lived. And I'm sure that John is in prison and the virus of doubt is making its way through his system. And he's thinking, man, I messed up. And but Jesus says, no, you are blessed and you are the greatest. He's telling that. Are y'all getting that? He's telling this to John's disciples. John is not there. John is the best. John is the greatest. You know, I guess that begs the question, what does God think of you? If he were telling your friends about you, 
what would he say about you? Look at verse 25. Jesus said, you didn't go out to see someone putting on a fashion show. When people come out to see the man of God, the prophet of God, John was standing there in a camel hair sackcloth eating honey and locust legs are in his hanging out of his beard. That's what they saw. John was rough and rugged and he looked more like a biker preacher prophet. That's what he looked like. And Jesus said, you went out to see a prophet. I say more than a prophet. He was more than a prophet because he's the one that was sent with a message to prepare the way for the Messiah. Look at verse 28. I love verse 28. He was more than a prophet. John is the greatest prophet. If you're taking notes, you write this down. Luke 16, 16 tells us that John is the last of the Old Testament prophets and the greatest prophet who ever lived. Did you hear me? John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. That means, now listen, Bible students, that means that the Old Testament does not, be, does not end with Malachi. Or that's Italian. It, you, it, that would be Malachi. That's not where the Old Testament ends. The Old Testament ends actually with the death of Jesus on the cross. You understand that? Keep that tucked away because that will help you in your understanding as you study your Bible. The Old Testament ends with Jesus' death on the cross. But John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus said he was the greatest prophet who ever lived. I mean, think about that. John is greater than Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, David, Abraham. John chapter 10, verse 41, if you're taking notes, tells us that John did no signs and no healings. But listen, the greatness of the man was related to the fact that he was a prophet, that the prophets prophesied about. The greatness of John is related to not the fact that he did miracles and signs and wonders, the greatness of the man is related to the fact that John is the prophet of which the prophets prophesied about. John was the prophet that the prophets prophesied and told of the one who would point his finger at the prophesied one. That would be Jesus. And he would say, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. In short, his message was clear, his message was current, and his message was correct. More correct, more clear, and more current than any other prophet. But still in verse 28, please let me see the top of your head and look at verse 28. But still the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Did you get that? It's fascinating. The least in the kingdom is greater than John. Why? Because although John's message was clear, our message is clearer. Although John's message was current, our message is more current. Also, we are greater than John. Watch this, because John was only born of a woman. He was born once. We are born of a woman but we are also the least in the kingdom. 
okay, was born of a woman, but also born of the spirit. The least in the kingdom was born twice. Anybody know where I'm going? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody breathing? Raise your hand if you're breathing. Okay. John was only born of a woman. The least in the kingdom was born of a woman and born of the spirit. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, listen, that's the rule. That's the rule. You have to be born twice. There are two births and two deaths. You are born of a woman and then you must be born again. And there is a physical death and a spiritual death. Physical death is temporary. Spiritual death is eternal. Somebody once said it like this. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. If you're only born in the world and never born again, you're going to die twice. You're going to leave this earth and then you're going to stand before God and you're going to die again. But if you're born twice, you're born of a mother in this world. And then you are born again. If Jesus tarries, you only die once. You'll leave this earth, but you live eternally in the kingdom of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You live eternally in the kingdom of God. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. So important. Born twice, die once. You see, we have a clearer picture than John the Baptist did. And that is why Jesus says the least in the kingdom, y'all getting this, is greater than John the Baptist. Verses 29 through 35. So when the people heard it, they thought this was great. But when the religious people heard it, they were convicted in their hearts. And Jesus says, what do I acquaint or what do I liken this generation to? They are like children playing in the marketplace. They say, let's play wedding. And they say, we don't want to play wedding. Well, then some say, well, let's play funeral. And they say, no, we don't want to play funeral either. And Jesus says, you don't know what you want. You don't want to be happy and you don't want to be sad. John the Baptist came living a life of no compromise and you say he's a demon. The son of man has come and spending time with people and you say he's just a glutton. Listen, verse 35. Wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, listen, you can say anything you want to say. Saints, look at me. Give me your attention. You can say anything you want to say about the church. You can judge and you can criticize and you can say all that Jesus stuff ain't about nothing. But when I see a life that has been changed and I see a soul set free and I see someone who used to do drugs and now they're doing church. And I see someone who couldn't read and comprehend, and now they love to read and they can fully comprehend. And don't, don't ask my wife. She might say, sometime I comprehend. <laughs> but when I see a life that is transformed, listen, wisdom is justified by its children or wisdom is justified by its fruit. You cannot argue with fruit, period. Cut and dry, end of story. I don't care what you say. You can talk of Jesus this, Jesus that, yeah, Jesus. People, oh, everybody's got a problem with Jesus. I don't know what your problem with Jesus. Eh? Jesus never did nothing to you. Jesus only tried to bless you. What is your problem with Jesus? But I can tell you one thing, 
you cannot argue with fruit. If I tell you that Jesus changed my life, if I tell you that I was one way on January 22nd and I was a different way on January 23rd and I've been that way now for 26 years, that God has changed my life, that God has blessed me and he's transformed me and the fruit and look at the fruit that's come from my life all because of what Jesus did. Wisdom is justified by his fruit and you can't argue with that. You can't argue with fruit, not unless you're crazy and need Prozac. You can stand in a lemon tree, look at the lemons coming off the tree and say, you know what? I don't believe you're a lemon tree. I believe you're an apple tree. And it's like lemons are like dropping on your head. I still don't believe it. Listen, you cannot argue with fruit. Wisdom is justified by its children or by the fruit of its offspring. Y'all understand that now? You understand that now? That's important. Wisdom? Man, is that a missing word in our culture or what? It seems. Okay, I'm close there. I'm coming in for a landing. It seems the more knowledge we get in our country, the less wise we become. Have you noticed that? We got internet. You can Google anything Wikipedia, anything you want to know. Listen, there is no reason for you not to know. You can know anything you want to know. You can learn anything you want to learn. We got so much knowledge available at our fingertips. But you know what's missing in our culture? Wisdom. You know why? Because you can't Google wisdom. Somebody say amen. You cannot Google wisdom. Doc, you can't Google wisdom. That's wisdom comes from the Lord. I want more than my wife to say amen. I heard you, sweetie. Thank you. Wisdom comes from the Lord. You cannot purchase wisdom. You know where wisdom comes from? The B-I-B-L-E. Wisdom comes from knowing God's word. If you want to be wise, know the word of God. You want to be discerning? Know the word of God. No, but you've got such a great gift of discernment. You've got such a great gift of discernment. I can tell you something. I do believe in the gift of discernment because 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that there is a gift called discernment. But I also believe that as you study God's word and you know his word better, your discernment becomes sharpened because as you hear things and you begin to filter those things through the word of God, you say, mm, something right about that. So you start to gain wisdom. Wisdom and discernment come from the word of God. Wisdom can only be had from the Lord. And I've always prayed. I remember years ago when we first, talking about 14 years of anniversary, when we first started talking about the church and all of these things. And I remember praying and asking the Lord to give me wisdom. Can I tell you something? I have never asked the Lord to give me money. I have never asked the Lord to send me people. Never. I have always and still do every day ask the Lord to give me wisdom. Because it takes wisdom 
to, to, to be a pastor. It takes wisdom to live in this world. You know, some people have a lot of money and a lot of education, but they ain't got a nickel of wisdom. They make appointments with me every day. Nobody here? This is not accusatory. I'm just telling you. You got to ask the Lord for wisdom. If you have not been asking the Lord for wisdom, how about starting each day? Lord, give me wisdom for this day. Because some things, listen, I'm just trying to help you. Some things are not black and white. Some things are not black and white. Some things are just a matter of, Lord, what is the wise thing to do? And every day in this job, I exercise wisdom. And wisdom is justified by its fruit. You can always see wisdom, but you will see it later. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.